Hey guys, it is great to jump into God's Word together. So if you've got a Bible, pull it out. If you've got it on a device, pull it out. We should have some of the verses up on the screen as well today. Um, one thing I just wanted to mention, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, we um, did a church survey in, in service. We did it to kind of uh, check, do a kind of pulse check on the church um, to, to uh, reflect kind of going into a new year. Um, we wanted to hear from you to be a church leadership that listens to the church. And so I just want to give you guys a heads up. Thank you for, thank you for filling it in. We had about 130 responses. That's kind of closed now. Um, and we're working to create like a summary of, of themes, reflections um, to share back with you. So just wanted to let you guys know what to expect in the coming weeks around that. Um, straight, straight off the bat, I guess, one thing... Um, I've seen many church surveys uh, over, over, over the years, and particularly when you send a church survey out anonymously, there's a little bit of like, ooh, I wonder what people are going to write, not knowing that it's, it's anonymous. And um, I just really want to um, commend you guys as a church um, for your responses, particularly even in the areas of the ways that we as a church body um, can grow. Um, undoubtedly, there are areas that we can grow, and I'm just so grateful for the, the posture and the tone um, and the constructiveness with which you share different ideas. So thank you just for, for, for doing that. I'm excited um, just to continue the journey with you guys as a church, and we'll get to it with the summary and the reflections and get that out across communication um, soon, I hope. Um, we're back in a sermon series in the Gospel of Luke, so you can turn already if you want to get to Luke chapter 6. We're in Luke chapter 6. We're going to read shortly from verses 1 um, to 11. If you began joining us since the beginning of the new year, um, you will know for the, at the beginning of the new year, we had a short series uh, looking at rest and work and gratitude. But if you were here before, before the new year and before Christmas, you'll know that we are in the middle of a broader series studying through the Gospel of Luke. Um, that's, that's normatively how we teach here at Park. We take books of the Bible, we go verse by verse, book by book through the Bible, and that way we, we allow Scripture to dictate the, the flow and we allow Scripture to guide the content that we preach. And so today we are back in Luke's Gospel. And I wanted to remind you at the beginning just what Luke is seeking to do or what he's seeking to work towards as he wrote this gospel. He, he, he's building, as we read verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph, chapter by chapter, he's building piece by piece a, a fuller picture and a richer picture of who Jesus is and what Jesus came to accomplish. And so as you can imagine, if you're reading the Luke's gospel for the first time, it's, 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 it's unfolding who Christ is for the reader. And as we come to chapter six today, Luke continues to, to, to seek to expand our understanding of who Christ is. And this is my hope for you today, that, that no matter no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, whether you have been a follower of Christ for many, many years, or whether you're here today for the very first time in, in, in a church and you're just here with questions and you're intrigued, I, I pray and hope that through the, the teaching this morning that you will grow in a deeper and richer understanding of who Christ is, and, and two, that you will know that we are a community of welcome where we want you to come and journey alongside us. In Luke chapter 1, We've seen Jesus' birth to an unexpected teenage mother from backwater Nazareth. We've seen in chapter 4, Jesus growing up to be rejected in his hometown because of Jesus' refusal to give what those people there felt that they were entitled to. 
We've seen Jesus stand in the synagogue and declare that he has come to proclaim good news for the poor, to proclaim freedom for the captives and sight to the blind. In chapter 5, if you remember, Jesus healed the sick and gave a paralytic the ability to walk. Jesus has called uneducated fishermen and ill-repute tax collectors to be his followers. A Zacharias song sings in chapter 1 of Luke's gospel, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. When we string together all that we've studied so far in Luke's gospel, we see that through Jesus' life, in word and in deed, an entrance was being made and an arrival, a, a touchdown was occurring. The, the seeds of a new kingdom and a new way of life were beginning to be revealed. Jesus entered the world to make a way for new possibilities. And the imagery of Jesus coming in Luke's gospel, that of, that of a sun rising and the humble being exalted, it, it's hopeful and it's fresh and it speaks of the possibility of new beginnings. But what we're going to begin to see today, and even more so in the coming weeks as we continue through Luke's gospel, is that new beginnings also mean that change is coming. And change is not always well received. In fact, in the passage that we read today, change results in fury and rage and anger. Change was, in fact, one of the factors that, that motivated the hostility that resulted in Christ's crucifixion. Heraclitus, the, the Greek philosopher, wrote, there is nothing permanent except change. And so one of the, the primary questions our passage asks of us today is, are we open to it? How, how does change make you feel this morning? Maybe you have enjoyed a long season of stability and the tectonic plates are beginning to shift underneath your feet. Your next step doesn't have that same comfort found in familiarity. And so our hearts can, can clam up and cling on trying to maintain a past that God is saying is gone. Or we can become bitter that what we don't have or what we have is what we don't want. Our passage today has much to do with, with Sabbath rest, and we're going to read that, we're going to look at that, but deeper than that, our passage today is about the lordship of Christ, that, that, that he determines time, that, that he determines seasons and transitions, that he sometimes shakes the ground under us to move us and change us and to align us. The lordship of Christ is always a question as to whether we will, are willing to live under it, whether we are willing to take our hands off the wheel and relinquish our grip on what we're trying to hold, allowing our hands to open, to receive in hope and expectancy the new thing that God is doing. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19 reads, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? Let, let's read our passage. Luke chapter 6 We'll read verses 6 down to verse 11. And it reads like this. On the Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. 
But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to them, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. Let's pray before we look at these verses. God, we thank you for your word this morning. God, we acknowledge that our lives can often feel like we're being tossed here and there, and um, we thank you that when we come to your word, we find sure footing, we find a foundation on which to build our lives. So God, I pray that that will occur today. God, I pray if there's anybody here who, who, who feels just tossed around by life and the tides of life and the seasons of life, God, I pray that they would find peace and rest in your unchanging grace this morning. God, I pray you'll do that in my life. I pray that you'll do that in the lives of every person in this room. God, we um, invite your, your Holy Spirit to speak and lead and guide your flock and your sheep today. We invite you into this room. In Jesus' name, amen. The verse that we read this morning, the first verse we read this morning, it begins with these three words on uh, Sabbath, which sets the, the stage for all of the scenes that are to come. Just a few weeks ago, if you're here on the first Sunday of 2024, I preached a message that was entitled Embracing the Gift of Sabbath Rest. And that week we, we took note that the Sabbath within Judaism was the day of the week that the Jewish people were commanded in the Mosaic Law, the law given through Moses in the Old Testament, where they were commanded to take one day off from rest every week. That was a day for Israel to remember their, their freedom from slavery in Egypt, to remember that they no longer lived under a taskmaster, pushing them, forcing them. But by God's grace, they had been set free. And now they lived under his rest and his protection and his safety. The Sabbath was a day when freedom from the totality of work was to be celebrated and to be enjoyed. And so when Jesus was born as a Jew into Jewish culture, keeping the Sabbath was an ongoing practice in the culture around him in the lives of those that were around him. Hence what we read in chapter, one, or chapter 6, verse 1, where it reads, On a Sabbath, while he, that is Jesus, was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. Verse 2 reads, But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Well, what we're going to begin to see more and more from this passage onwards as we study through Luke's gospel is the tension that begins to fester between Jesus and the religious leaders, which results in outright hostility. The last verse of today's passage ends with the religious leaders being filled with fury. And so what's going wrong? 
particularly in these verses, what, 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 what's, the, what's the problem with Jesus and his disciples having a snack as they walk through a field? If you look back at the Mosaic Law in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus, it, it reads this, Exodus chapter 34, verse 21. It reads, six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. And we read here that Sabbath rest was to be observed throughout the entire year for the people of Israel, including during harvest season, which is a point particularly highlighted in Exodus, as you can see, because harvest season is when it might be most tempting to skip a day of rest. But what had become common over the coming centuries after Exodus was a particularly strict interpretation of the law, which meant that even just plucking a grain of wheat with your hands while passing through a field had begun to be considered the equivalent of harvesting. And what really was happening here was the religious leaders were slipping back into a pattern of thinking that we can also all too easily become prone to. And it's the temptation to find the substance of our faith in our ability to keep external rules and regulations. It's, it's, it's the temptation to hold up what we believe it means to live a life of devotion to God and then find our sense of accomplishment and our righteousness before God as a Christian living that life. And if we are prone to this, which I think we all are to some degree, well then the more rules and the stricter the regulations, the better. Because the more opportunities we will have to further establish our sense of accomplishment. And even better, if the rules we follow are unattainable to others, then we not only get the satisfaction of being found in the right, but we can enjoy the satisfaction of being better than those that are in the wrong. But also, the more we seek to accomplish righteousness of our own before God and the more we try to convince ourselves of our own self-righteousness, also the more likely we are going to be to begin to miss the heart behind the life that God is calling us into. And so Jesus throws at the Pharisees what, what hair-splitting rule followers can't stand. He throws at them a moral quandary. He throws at them an ethical dilemma. The Pharisees, they are shocked at what they see. His disciples are munching on hands fulls of green. And they ask Jesus, what, 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 what are you doing? Why are you breaking the Sabbath? To which Jesus responds in verse 3 and verse 4 with a quandary, a slightly obscure and long question. In Luke chapter 6, verse 4, Jesus answers saying, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate of the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those with him. Let me explain what's going on here. In these verses, Jesus asks a paragraph of a question referring to an episode in the Old Testament when David, who was not yet king, was, being, was on the run from King Saul, and David ha has had no food, and so he is in the temple, and there was always 12 loaves of bread in the temple representing the 12 tribes of Israel placed there as an offering to God. 
The bread was an acknowledgement that it was God who was ultimately their sustainer. It was God who was ultimately their nourisher. And these loaves were strictly reserved for this person. Nobody was allowed to just come into the temple and eat them. But David, in his desperation, he needs to eat, and so he takes them. And the quandary, the dilemma is that Jesus himself, you can see in verse 4, says that this was not lawful. And yet it's also acknowledged that due to the fact David did, have to, did not have to reckon with any consequences for eating the bread, it's also acknowledged and assumed that God approved of David's actions. That's the dilemma. How, how can God approve of what was not lawful? And so what is the point that Jesus is, is making? Well, firstly, the point is not that when you're in a pinch wrong becomes right. Jesus isn't saying that if you're in a hurry, you can commit adultery. He's not saying that you can, you can only steal when you need something. Jesus is reflecting back here and speaking specifically about the laws that were within the Old Testament, Mosaic law. He's speaking about structures, rules, and commands that were set up within Judaism for a particular period of time with the particular purpose of pointing forward to Jesus. The Mosaic law created a, a unique way of life for Israel that foreshadowed the substance of that which would be found in Jesus. Yes, David did what was unlawful under the Mosaic law, but in David not being condemned, it is as if, as if God gave a little momentary window into the future when that particular law would become obsolete. Because when the sun rose on a new day in Christ, a new day dawned. It is He who is now the temple through whom we enter God's presence. It is now He that is the bread of life through whom we find our nourishment and our sustenance. It is He who is now our Sabbath through whom we find our rest and our peace, and our freedom. The temple and the bread, just like the Sabbath, were all foreshadows of what humanity would ultimately find its fulfillment in through Christ. It's beautiful. But for the Pharisees in our passage, this meant change. This meant a new way of understanding their faith that was currently, was that understanding of their faith, which was currently built on ensuring they kept external rules and regulations pertaining to the temple and the Sabbath. But now Jesus enters the scene and he reorients their faith around not what is external, but what is internal. The foundation, the substance of our faith is now the relationship that we have with Christ. The foundation of our faith is the allegiance that we have to Christ and his allegiance to us, our commitment to follow him and our love for him and his love for us. And so everything for a Christ follower that is external, everything that is behavioral, everything that is reflected in our behavior flows from a life that has been changed first in here. Our behavior flows from what has been done for us on the cross, not what we are trying to accomplish for ourselves. But the question that should have been 
impressing then on the Pharisees' minds if they were picking up on what Jesus was putting down when he refers to the quandary of David taking the bread from the temple should have been, okay, well, who determines all of this? Let, 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 let's, let's start there. Who, who, who determines right and who determines wrong? Who determines the law? Who determines what, what, what laws stand and for how long they stand? And who holds authority pertaining to these questions? Jesus' next statement leads the Pharisees to begin asking the right questions. Chapter 6, verse 5 reads, And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Which was Jesus' way of saying, I determined the Sabbath. I instigated it on the seventh day. I, I, I infused it with its meaning. And I am its substance. I am Sabbath rest. But more than that, if Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, what is inferred then is that he is Lord of all. That he is Lord, full stop. And that's where we see, church, this morning that this passage isn't just about the Sabbath. It's about change. It's, it's, it's about timing. This is about who is shaking the ground underneath you. It's about who is causing those tectonic plates to, 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 to shift. It's about who is the right to. Church, our passage today is about the transitional period between the old covenant under the Mosaic law and a covenant a covenant that was maintained through a keeping of external law. And this is about the new covenant, which is maintained and sealed through faith alone in the finished work of Christ. The, the Pharisees and Jesus' disciples find themselves in a transition from one era to another. The, the, the coming of Christ was the most significant line that has ever been drawn in history. And history will only be divided again to such a magnitude when Christ returns again. But every day of your life, Jesus is Lord. And every day, he's drawing lines. He's creating boundaries in time within your life leading us from one season to the next, from one place to another, from old relationships to new relationships, from old rhythms to new rhythms, from old challenges to new challenges, from old jobs to new jobs, old schools to new schools, new understandings of ourselves and who we're becoming. And what we can be tempted to do is find our security, our peace, our identity in trying to maintain a past that God is saying is gone. And it's a, it's a fair question to ask, why, 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 why now? Why, why, why did Jesus show up on this particular day, in this particular field, with these particular disciples, while the Pharisees were watching to say, it's time, it's time. I'm done with your obsolete, ill-informed, burdensome interpretations of what constitutes, constitutes a harvest. But also, why this year? RP, I, I don't know what is going to change in your life in 2024. 
but something. There will be something that God says is, is, is done that's become obsolete and over. Maybe a plan that you are so sure is going to come to fruition. Maybe a relationship that you are so sure is leading somewhere. Then Jesus shows up and breaks the law that's been yours, not his. Or breaks the law that was his and is no longer. What do we do when Jesus shows up in our lives this year as Lord? Park Rogers Park, I want to ensure, assure you or reassure you this morning. In Luke chapter 6, verse 6, back to back, we have another episode that begins on another Sabbath. This time, Jesus enters a synagogue, a Jewish place of worship. Jesus is no longer in the fields. And it says that, there that a man was there in the synagogue whose right hand was, was withered. Then it says in verse 7 of chapter 6, and the scribes and the Pharisees watched him, that is Jesus, to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, to see if they might find another reason to accuse him. And we think, well, what, what is, what, 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 what's, even the ration, what's even the rationale for this one? What's their, what, what's their problem this time? And if we, we, if we think that the harvesting of a few mouthfuls of green was an ill-informed, burdensome interpretation of the Mosaic law, I, I, I don't even know really what, 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 what would be going on here. To, to be generous to the Pharisees, they may be thinking that because the man's hand isn't life or death in that moment, or a life or death situation in that moment, the act of healing could wait. You know, our propensity to be rule followers can really mess us up. <laughs> Which is very appropriate to consider based on the celebration that the Sabbath was meant to signify that we've been set free from the totality of work and of endless accomplishment. We've been set free in Christ from the need to find more and more and as many as we can opportunities to further establish our sense of accomplishment. We've been set free from the impossible taskmaster of trying to accomplish a righteousness of our own before God because the more we do, the more, role, the more rules that we make up and the more we seek to convince ourselves of our own self-righteousness, it's going to fold us inward and inward and inward. And the more likely that then we are going to be in a position where we begin to miss the heart behind the life that God is calling us into. For these Pharisees, finding their peace and their security and identity in an over-interpretation over of the Mosaic law meant they were incredibly ill-prepared for change. And this is where we see in the first episode, Jesus stated that he is Lord, and now he sets out to prove it. And this is so good. Luke in chapter 6, verse 8 says, But he knew their thoughts. That's always scary. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come and, come, come and stand here. It's like me bringing somebody up on the stage. Come on up and stand right here where everybody can see. And the man rose and stood there. 
Jesus wanted to make sure everybody had a clear line of sight. Verse 9 reads, And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to destroy it? What's Jesus asking here? He's asking, do, do, you, do, you, do you even remember? How, how far have you wandered from the most obvious foundational tenets of your faith? That God's law, whichever era, whether it was old covenant with temple ritual and Sabbath or new covenant in Christ as we live under Christ's teaching and authority, the commands of God are always a reflection of his heart for good, for life. For healing. So in verse 10, and after looking around at them, Jesus isn't hiding from anybody. He's looking them all in the eye. He says to the man, stretch out your hand. And it was already healed. Church, there is a lot that we can take away from this passage. But the, the reason that the Pharisees couldn't perceive the fulfillment that was coming to bear in Christ was because they were finding their self-righteousness in an era that was coming to an end. And so they were blinded from being able to see the healing that the dawn of Christ was going to bring. The reason that the Pharisees couldn't perceive the fulfillment that, that, was coming, that, was, that was coming to bear in Christ was because they were finding their self-righteousness in an era that was coming to an end. And so they were blinded from able to see, being able to see the healing that the dawn of Christ was going to bring. And so RP, RP, I, I don't know what is going to change in your life this year, but something. And so the question is, are you open to it? Our, our passage today, yes, has been about the Sabbath, but deeper than the Sabbath, it has been about the Lordship of Christ, that he determines time, that he determines seasons and traditions, tr transitions, that he sometimes shakes the ground under us to move us and to change us and to align us. The Lordship of Christ is always a question as to whether we are going to be willing to live under it. And so this year, you may be tempted to cling on in an attempt to maintain a past that's gone. And you may be tempted to, to find your sense of identity and your worth and your value and your sense of accomplishment in a version of yourself that is coming to a close. And you may be tempted to question God's timing. Why now? Why this year? And the hope, the hope for the Christ follower, a hope sealed through faith alone in the blood of Christ, is that just as Jesus came as the fulfillment of all that foreshadowed him, Jesus is still unfolding in our lives that that, what that fulfillment means for us. Did you get that? The hope for the follower of Christ, a hope sealed through faith alone in Christ, is that just as Jesus came as the fulfillment of all that foreshadowed him, Jesus is still unfolding in our lives all that that fulfillment means for you. Which means the sun is still rising on our lives. His mercies, church, are new every morning and every season. 
Every season leads us down a path of further discovery of, of God's love for us. And sometimes that path got corners. <laughs> Every change is an entrance to the healing and hope that the gospel is yet to bring in your life. And so, church, may we have open hands, may we have open hearts to allow Jesus to break the laws that have been ours, not his, so that we may receive the new thing that God's doing. Isaiah chapter 43, 19 reads, Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Do you perceive it? Let's pray, church. God, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the richness of it. Thank you for the depth of it. Thank you that it draws us into reality. It's all week we live in a world that confuses us about what's the story of history. Why are we here and where do we come from? And we thank you that we can come to your word and there's life and there's truth and there's the miraculous. That in this world, in all of its beauty, in awe, in magnitude. Everything in this world that stirs up questions as to who are we and why are we here. We thank you that you came, you incarnated yourself so we'd begin to start asking the right questions. Who is Jesus? What does he mean to me? What has he done for me? God, I pray today, God, with all of our striving and with all of our seeking after accomplishments that we'll lay it all down at your feet. And we'll recognize that in Christ we receive everything. That we receive freedom. We receive forgiveness for our sins. We receive an eternal hope. We receive a God who is our shepherd leading us and guiding us through every day and every season, and every storm, and every corner, and every unknown that you're there, and you're with us. God, I pray that we'd be a people that reflect that kind of hope, that kind of expectancy that God meets us, whatever we're facing. God, I pray that we will have joy in the gospel. God, I pray, God, that we would be a people of hope, that we would be people that have something bubbling up in us, that people want to know what is that, who are you, who have you met? what's been done in your life. God, would you make us that kind of church in Rogers Park in Chicago for the city and for the world, I pray in your name. Amen.